Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. Want to give a quick shout out to those sharing this podcast in New Jersey, Tennessee, even Moscow. Wow. Thanks for sharing. Those shares go a long way. Keep them going. So what happens after death? What is death like? What is heaven like? What is hell like? Do they even exist? Uh, We're talking about it here. Stick with. A a recent survey shows that more people believe in the afterlife than people who believe in God. Let's Let's just do something odd right now and think about this logically for a second. There are more people who believe in an afterlife than those who believe in a designer of it. Like the idea of God, that's way too fairy taleish. It's hard to believe. But afterlife, yeah, kinda, I kind of like that. I'll believe in that. What? I mean, to me, and granted, this is just my opinion, it shows like just how anti-authority we are today. Like we want, we want the life, but we don't want the authority of life. We want the product, life after death. We want the product, but we don't want the producer. I don't know, maybe it's just me, and I know I sound like a total old man right now, but I just think this, this is so wild. But it does beg the question, a question that we all wonder, a, a, a question that, uh, especially when there's a death, or we lose a loved one, or we're at a funeral, or maybe we're driving by a cemetery, and that night we're lying in bed wondering, where are they, my loved ones who have gone? Like, what are they doing right now? All of us have wondered, when I die, what happens next? I remember the, uh, the first time I wrestled with this question, I was 13, and my grandpa, uh, my dad's dad, I was, I was really close to him. I loved riding in this old green truck. It was the coolest old green truck. It had tweed seats. I, mean, I wish I could find this truck today because I would totally drive it. It smelled like smoke. He was a big smoker. And, uh, and so I, I would actually hide his cigarettes. But every other weekend, he would, he would come and he'd stay with my family, and he'd stay in the basement. And I'd always get excited when I came home from school, and I saw his alligator skin overnight bag and his Packer hat sitting on top. I'm like, yeah, Grandpa's here. And he'd take me on road trips up to Green Bay to visit my cousins, and he'd pick me up from school sometimes. And he'd always take me out for butter brickle ice cream, which, by the way, best flavor of ice cream out there, butter brickle. Like, him and I were the only ones in the family who, who would even eat it. And uh, he'd take me to ice cream in, the, in our small town, like, ice cream shop. We called it Utter Delights. And uh, we'd sit outside, you know, him in his short shorts and black knee-high socks with sandals on. You know, rust bucket of a truck sitting right next to us. Like, he was the most uncool yet cool grandpa. And I miss him. Like, even today, uh, I, I, have a, I, so I have a truck and I have a, a tweed steering wheel cover just because it, it reminds me of grandpa. Or when I listen to uh, Louis Armstrong, you like Louis Armstrong at all? Wonderful Life, like classic song. That's his favorite song. Every time I hear that, I, I just tear up. Uh, I love my grandpa. Morning he died, my, my dad woke me up in the early hours of the morning, and he told me, he said, Grandpa's having a hard time breathing. He's going into the ER, and, uh, and so I'm going to go see him. And uh, that, that, happened to, that happened before. He's, he's a smoker, he had emphysema, and so I thought, oh, whatever. Like, I'll wake up in a couple hours, and he'll hear that he's all right, like, just like last time. When I woke up, though, I, I heard my mom, overheard my mom, she's in the bathroom crying, she's on the phone, and she didn't know that I was up, and I overheard her on the phone saying, how am I going to tell them that their grandpa's gone? It was like my stomach just sank. And that morning, drove to the hospital, uh, my dad was there, and, and he actually, um, he asked me if I wanted to see grandpa, and I, I did, and he walked me into the room where grandpa was, he was lying on a gurney, and 
I kind of wish I didn't go in there because I don't like remembering Grandpa that way. You know, he's cold and, and he, was, he was pale. And I remember sitting there looking at him thinking, man, it was just a little while ago we were eating Butterbrickle ice cream. And for weeks after that, I would always wonder, like, what's Grandpa doing now? Where's Grandpa at? What is he experiencing? Is, is that it? Or is there more? And what's more? You see, all of us have had these similar experiences with, with loved ones, haven't we? Whether it was a grandparent, or whether it was a parent, or a, or a sibling, or a friend. And it makes you wonder, where are they? What are they doing? Like, what happens when this, is, when this is all over? And that thought is somewhat haunting. I mean, it's definitely a sobering thought because it reminds us of our own mortality. Like, this right here has an expiration date. This all will end. You and I have shelf lives so what happens next? It's one of the top Googled questions. What's death like? And a lot, there's a lot of different answers out there. I mean, some speculate, you know, that, like that, that white, warm light, you know, that like beckons you in. Some say, you know, you can see deceased relatives that are there at the end of the light and they're welcoming you. Others say, oh, no, it's more of like an out-of-body experience, you know, where you can see your body. And if you're at the hospital, you can see like the doctors and the nurses working on you. Some say, no, it's just like a TV turning off. You know, it's just like nothing, no activity. It's just like in nothingness. And this is where we tend to grasp onto the things that we like best, you know, what we want to believe. It's why more people believe that there's something after this life than, than a designer of it. So a lot of times we grasp like whatever makes us feel better. But around here at the bridge, we, we don't believe whatever just makes us feel better. Instead, we go to the designer of life, this life and also the next life. I mean, who better to go to with this question than the one who experienced death and then came back to get us and walk us through it? And so today, we're going to take on the haunting topic of death. We're going to wrestle with the discomfort because it's that that brings us confidence for when it does come our time. You in? Sounds like you experienced death already. Why am I even up here? You're already dead. This is great. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 is where we're at. Daniel chapter 12, we're looking at two verses here. Actually, we're going to look at a, a bunch of other verses, but this is mainly where we're going to camp out today. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Um, I'm actually named after him. My middle name is Daniel. My wife wishes that I would have went with Daniel instead of Junior. Um, but love, love Daniel. Uh, the first half of the book of Daniel is Daniel's story. He's got an incredible story. But then the last bit of Daniel is prophecy. God reveals to Daniel some things that will take place. We call these the end times. And so in the passage that we're going to look at today, God is showing Daniel what happens after death. And it's a little chilling, but stick with, stick with me. We're in this together. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into this. And Father, we thank you so much that, that you, give us, you give us your word, that you invite this question. God, I thank you that you've already prepared everything. Father, I ask that throughout this time, uh, whether we are pretty confident in what we know happens after death or whether we're not, I, I pray that you open our hearts, that you engage our mind, and that your Holy Spirit teach us something new maybe, but more importantly, and move us toward you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in, in verse 2, and I know it's kind of weird, like we're starting in, in verse 2, why not start in verse 1? Uh, verse 1 is a transition verse from chapter 11, and chapter 11 of Daniel talks about the end times, so like the last days of earth. So if we were to unpack verse 1, uh, we'd have to go back to chapter 11 and like talk about a whole other topic. But verse 2 starts this new event, and it talks about death. 
That's really wild to think about. Before I show you this verse, it's really wild to think about this. Verse 2 talks about an event that you and I are going to be at. It's like a super trippy thought. This verse is about us. You look at this. It says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. Now this phrase, many of those, it doesn't, it's kind of confusing. It doesn't mean like this like high percentage of those who are sleeping in the dust. It, it means like everyone. Uh, a great multitude would be another way of, of translating this. Uh, everyone who sleeps in the dust, meaning everyone who has died ever, shall awake. Now we got to keep in mind, uh, we're reading apocalyptic literature. So the second part of Daniel turns into apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature uses a lot of metaphors. So what Daniel's saying here is, he's not saying that um, people who died or who have died are in this like weird intermediate sleep state until this day. Daniel uses the idea of sleep and wake to show that where believers are and where unbelievers are right now is just temporary. Something more permanent awaits. But in the meantime, Scripture is very clear that when a believer dies today, they are in the presence of God. And we'll talk about that place more in a little bit. But Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you're a believer. And so believers who have died are right now in the presence of God. And one day, this day right here, their bodies will be resurrected. That's what this means. They, they shall awake. It's the, it's the resurrection, bodily, physical resurrection that we will all one day, that we all one day look forward to. Even those who are in heaven right now, they are looking forward to this day. Our bodies, whether buried, cremated, lost at sea, or they got this new technology that um, makes people into diamonds. Did you hear about this? Take a person's body and make it into a diamond. I think that is so cool. I want to be a diamond. Nicole, uh, she told me that uh, if she dies, uh, that uh, I have to um, remarry because, in her words, I don't want my daughters to, you know, be raised in an airstream or a cabin out in the woods. Um, I'm not. I'm just letting you know. I'm not getting remarried. If, if something, oh, I hope something doesn't happen. I'm not getting remarried though. If something does happen, are you kidding me? There's no way. I'd be terrible at dating. And so I keep telling her, I'm not getting remarried. There's no way. And she, she, she wouldn't let up. So I told her, I said, fine, you know what? I, uh, I'll have you made into a diamond, and then I'll propose to my next wife with you in the ring. <laughs> like, resourceful. This is, why, yeah, this is why I can't get remarried. Just couldn't do it. Uh, anyways, how do we get here? Okay, so you can be a, di- you can be a diamond. <laughs> you can be cremated. You can be buried. You can be lost at sea. doesn't matter. God, like he did with Jesus, will gather your molecules and raise your body. The immaterial part of you will rejoin with your physical body. We will awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. So all of history is headed to this fork in the road. Right before eternity, it forks. Uh, believers will receive glorified bodies. Again, like Jesus, like, Jesus was resurrected. He had a glorified body. He was still recognizable, but he was better. Same thing will happen to believers. We will receive our body, only better, thank goodness. And, and the same thing happens to the earth. The earth is demolished and recreated. God will bring back the Garden of Eden, a new earth, just as physical as this earth, but no sin, no pain, uh, no death. We've already been there, already done that, not doing that again. This new earth And so there's this fork in the road. Believers will enter the new perfect earth with these glorified physical bodies, everlasting life. Unbelievers, those who reject God, who don't want God, will get what they want too. They will depart from God. 
and, uh, and they will go to a godless reality, a, a place that Jesus talked a lot about, hell. And as, ug- and as ugly as the thought as that is, it is followed up with one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. It says, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Isn't that beautiful? Those who are wise, meaning those who have had their eyes open to their need for for Jesus Christ, for, for God, followers of Jesus, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. See, in this present world, most true believers are persecuted, they're misunderstood, they're misrepresented, because our values and our priorities and our drive to holiness, we are often overlooked and dismissed. But all of that will change at the fork in the road. It's as if the values that we hold on to right now, it's as if they burst into light. Oh, down here, our values, they cost us. They're demonized. They're made fun of. And we try to hide our values sometimes. Sometimes we're embarrassed by our values. But after that fork in the road, we won't be able to help but show them off, shining like the brightness of the sky above. I mean, what an image. He continues, and, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who turn many to righteousness, meaning believers on earth who have introduced people to Jesus Christ. According to scripture, the highest honor you can have in the next life is the reward of bringing people to Jesus. They will stand out like stars in the sky. It's beautiful imagery, isn't it? A few observations about death. Number one, eternity is reality. Eternity is reality. And we can't put it off. You can go to Whole Foods and buy a $30 granola bar that tastes like sand. You can bathe in essential oils. You can drink tree bark smoothies. You're still going to die. Like Death is just, it's a reality. Eternity is reality. Everyone in your house, everyone in your apartment complex, everyone in your office, everyone you drive by on your commute will experience eternity. And for some, that's fantastic news. And for others, it's not. But either way, it is Reality. It's a reality that is imprinted on your heart. See, deep down, and whether you admit it or not, there is this longing for eternity, a, a longing for the way that things should be. The Jews call this shalom. Shalom means the way things ought to be, where everything is just right. You have this craving imprinted on your soul for shalom, this longing for eternity, an ache, if you will, an ache that you can't shake. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8. He puts, for all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. The whole creation has been groaning together. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Eternity has been pressed into your spirit. We groan for it. And we feel that groan all the time. We feel that groan when we hear of four million girls who have been sold as sex slaves. Young girls beaten and traded and abused by perverts. And we hear about it and it angers us. And we feel that groan for heaven. That's not the way things should be. I want the way things should be. It's passing by a car accident. And seeing a mangled car and next to it a sheet being placed over a body. And your heart just groans. It's not the way things should be. It's not how it ought to be. There's this inward expressed groan. It's a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine knew her since, and we've known each other since we were kids. She was murdered three weeks ago by her husband while she was holding her baby. I got that call at 2 a.m. The other line are just weeping. She's dead. It's like this punch in the gut. That is not right. 
It's not okay. I groaned until, until the sun rose. Just this heavy ache. It's an, it's an anticipation for shalom. I want the way things ought to be. It's an ache for eternity. See, we feel this groan most when tragedy hits, but it's always there. It's, it's a longing for more. It's a longing for better because this world just isn't satisfying. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something better, and, and there is. It's eternity, and eternity is reality, and we groan for it. But often we misdiagnose this ache. So I'm, uh, full disclosure, I guess, I'm, uh, I've been working to get healthier. I started seeing a therapist last month, and uh, some of you are like, yeah, it's about time. And, um, and this therapist has just been helping me, like, just see things differently. And one of the results of, of this is just uh, getting healthier, not just mentally healthier, but, but physically. And I, I don't want to be like one of those GQ guys who eats birdseed all day. It's just like, to each his own. It's just, I don't really care about that. But I, I do, I do want to be healthier. And I've been reading, and maybe you already know this, uh, but I've been reading that many times when you feel hunger pains, we're not really hungry. We're actually thirsty. Uh, so hunger is a symptom of dehydration. And so often when, when we, uh, we, we treat our thirst with a bag of Doritos or Triscuits, which look and taste like wicker chairs, but a, a bottle of water would have cured the hunger, but we ate instead, which is unhealthy. See, so often we do this with our lives. Our lives are lived misdiagnosing our yearn for eternity. And so we feel like something is missing. There's something better out there. It's the way that things should be. And so we get a bag of Doritos. We'll go shoe shopping, buy a bigger house, or we'll go sleep with someone, or we'll snort something. And all of that is a misunderstanding, a misdiagnosing of the ache within. It's grown for God's presence for the reality of eternity. And that groan for God's presence is pressed into you by God himself. God intentionally gave you this craving for eternity as a mechanism to bring you back to him. Think of it like those, uh, you know, like when you go into a store and um, the merchandise is, is tagged, you know, like those like plastic tags, and, uh, and when you take like, hopefully you've never done this, but if you were to take one of those items with a plastic tag on and you walk past the, like the steel beams, you know, alarms go off, right? You know, bah, 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 because you've taken the merchandise out of the store. The merchandise is not where it should be, and so the alarms are going off. In the same way, when Adam and Eve... When they sinned and we were evicted from paradise and our sin separated us from God, as soon as we left the garden, there was this bah, 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 bah in our soul, a groaning to be returned back to where we should be. It's God's tag on you. And that alarm will stop when you're back in the garden. Eternity is reality. A second observation from this is, is hell is horrible. Hell is horrible. This is... This is one of those things um, I don't want to believe in. In fact, I've tried to not believe in this. I've tried to find a way around hell. Uh, a lot of Christians will do this. I, I've tried to do it. Problem is, is I'd have to reject something that Jesus spent a lot of time preaching about. Hell is real. Though today it has become a lot different, hasn't it? Hell is more of like a filler word. You know, what the hell? A filler word. It, so we have, a, <laughs> we have many, many non-church people at the bridge. I love it. I just, I, I would have it no other way. But periodically, um, some guys, you know, like they're like new to church, I haven't really been around church, and after the service, they'll see me in the lobby, and they'll be like, you know, I want to say something nice to the guy you preach, and so they'll say something like, you know, hey, that was a hell of a sermon. It's like, thanks. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a filler word. 
Uh, hell's also become a joke. You know, we become desensitized to hell. Uh, adult animation shows, like uh, Family Guy, for example, will periodically portray hell as like a, a good time or portray it in, in light of a joke. And so it's a joke. Or uh, when I went to uh, Israel last year, I went to a coffee shop for some Turkish coffee. You ever had Turkish coffee? It's like, it's good stuff, strong stuff. They call it mud because it's just like thick coffee. And so when I, when I ordered uh, the coffee and I was getting it in the, and the barista said, do you want hell with that? I was like looking around like, uh, I don't want hell in my coffee. Does that mean like it's super hot? I don't know what that means. Like, I don't want hell. Come to find out, you're saying hell or hell is a spice. It's a cardamom, which is really good with uh, Turkish coffee, but very confusing. But uh, hell is a spice, apparently, too. But it's, it's a filler word. You know, it's a, it's a joke. We become desensitized to it. And, and then you guys, guys like Rob Bell argue that there is no hell, that hell is already here. You know, it's in the form of rape or murder or abuse. Problem with that is Jesus disagrees. That's just a taste of hell. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus is preaching, and Jesus loved uh, reading from Daniel. Uh, he repeats Daniel in his sermons um, often, actually. And, and Jesus says that all nations will be gathered before God. And all of us, all of us will be gathered before God. And the king will separate everybody, one from another, like a farmer separates goats from sheep. And to those on God's right, he says, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. What you have been groaning for is here. Go. And then Jesus says this. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a gut-wrenching text. This is not one that you want to, to read. This is one of the many instances that Jesus warns about hell. Hell is an actual place. Just as the next life is an actual place, physical and real for believers, so it is for, for unbelievers. But I want to take a second look, though, at this verse, because um, this verse actually clears up a, a very popular misconception today. Jesus says here that the eternal fire is prepared for who? Satan and his demons. So hell was not created to punish people originally. It was a place reserved for Satan a godless place because Satan and his angels do not want God, and so hell is a product of that desire. Humans come along, and as a result of sin, many humans began choosing the same exact thing. They don't want God. Hell is a product of their choice, the complete and utter absence of God. See, God's not a caveman. You know, when we get to the, the fork in the road, God's not going to be like a caveman and grab us by the hair and drag us into eternity with him. No, he gives us a choice. And in this life, we choose. I love what G.K. Chesterton wrote. I've been trying to read this guy lately, but he's way over my head. But he, he wrote this. He wrote, hell is the great complement to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. We want freedom. We want choice. Hell is a product of that. You know, so we'll hear a lot. People say, well, how, could a, how could a loving God send someone to hell? And the answer to that is he doesn't. He didn't. He, hell is a choice. We send ourselves. Some truly desire God, and others don't. They want their way, not God. And both people get what they want. Hell is horrible. Uh, the two adjectives that Jesus most commonly uses to describe hell is uh, fire, fire and punishment are the two most commonly used adjectives that Jesus uses. Often Jesus uses the term lake of fire, so it's almost like the idea of uh, lava, like drowning in fire. Jesus also describes this place as weeping. There's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Another, uh, another adjective that Jesus uses is, is darkness. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was in Tennessee with some buddies, and uh, we were sitting around a fire. 
And uh, as we were sitting around, a f- since there was a fire, we just started talking about, about hell and all great conversation. And the question was thrown out about, about hell. And they just said, you know, how can there be fire and darkness? Like, that's like an oxymoron. And so, you know, we're trying to, like, explain this away. You know, one guy's like, well, you know, your sight is probably, like, burned away. And so, you know, you can't see. And maybe that's what Jesus meant. I don't know, maybe. Another guy chimed in. He's like, well, apparently the darkest, the hottest fire is actually dark. I've actually heard that, too. But at the end of the day, Jesus is using imagery to describe a place that I don't want to go to. And so I don't really need to dissect much of this at all. And, and listen, I don't say this stuff to, like, you know, scare you. I really don't. I remember as a kid, um, I went to a Christian school, and, and once a year, my Christian school, my Bible teacher would get up, and he'd call it Hell Week, where he would scare the hell out of us. And, uh, and he'd get up, and he would just make up stuff about hell. Uh, one, one time he said, he said, he said, your resurrected body in hell won't be perfect. And so if you're addicted to cigarettes in this life, you will be there too. Only there won't be any cigarettes. I guess it can be true, but I doubt somebody's like drowning in fire going, dang, it's out of Marlboro Lights. You know, but my, my Bible teacher would do this. He would just like make up stuff and like scare us kids. And then at the end of the week, five of my friends would become Christians. Same five every year would be like become Christians at the end of, at the end of Hell Week. I don't want to do that because I realize this is a sensitive topic. Every single one of us have loved ones in here where we don't know where, where they're at. My friend's mom said today, it was her funeral today, who, who, the girl who was murdered, said, I don't know where my daughter's at. I get it, because some of us have been in those same shoes. We don't know. And so we spend a lot of mental energy trying to separate this truth from our loved ones. That's hard, and that hurts. And I just want to say we never know someone's heart. We do know that God loves them more than we ever could, and I'd rather this all be in God's hands than ours. I'm talking about hell, not because I want to, but because Jesus did a lot to warn us, and I don't want to skimp on something that mattered to Jesus. Hell is a horrible place, a place we shouldn't become desensitized to, a place that we as believers should never, never tell anybody to go to. Scripture says that, that believers will watch, as, watch people being thrown into hell, and we won't be able to take it, we will look away. And for those of us who believe it's a serious place, it's a horrible place, And it is why we do what we do as a church. We are attacking the gates of hell. This church is bent on not being some Christian social clique. We will not stoop to politics. We are about bringing people into the fold. It's why we don't dress up. It's why we think about new people constantly. It's why we don't do weird Christian things that scare off unbelievers. It's why we invite new people to our groups. We are obsessed about attacking the gates of hell, and we will not stop. Because we believe hell is real. Hell is horrible. But hell can be avoided. Third and final observation. Number three, heaven is home. Heaven is home. It's what you groan for. The full, complete presence of God, shalom. The way things ought to be, it's home. This is not our home. Far too many of us act like this is our home. We're freaking out about every little thing happening around us. Yeah, sure, we should, be, you should care, be informed. You know, but at the end of the day, this is not our home. This will all burn up. Heaven is home. I love what Paul says in Colossians 3.1. 
He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. And this word for set your mind, it means to constantly think. It's this inner disposition, this borderline obsession. It's actually an active verb right here. So you could translate it as keep thinking heaven, keep thinking heaven, keep thinking heaven. Remind yourself, remind your groan. It's heaven, it's heaven that you want. It's heaven that you want. Come, Lord Jesus. It's heaven that you want. This isn't it. There is shalom. And the groan will finally and fully stop, and we are in the presence of God where we belong. Your feet are on earth, but your, heaven, but your heart and your head should always be in heaven. I love what uh, Warren Wearsby said. He's a, he's a man who's in heaven right now. He passed away two years ago. Many of my sermons uh, come from his thoughts. So sometimes you guys are very nice, you know, afterwards, and sometimes you'll be like, hey, nice sermon today. If it was good, it probably came from this man's head. Like, I just, I just love this man so much. And he wrote this. He wrote, heaven isn't just a destination. It's a motivation. Heaven motivates how we do family. Heaven motivates how we do marriage. Heaven motivates how we do business. It motivates how we date. It motivates how we, how we handle our money. Heaven is our motivation for it all. But how many of us go throughout our days or weeks or years without giving heaven a thought? Instead, we feel this pull to satisfy our groans with, with other things, never really giving home a thought. No, Paul says, keep thinking heaven. The problem is, is most Christians, I mean, come on, most of us don't really know much about heaven, do we? Like if I had to tell you, hey, describe heaven, not really sure. So we can't really obey scripture and set our minds there because we don't really know what it's like. I mean, we see pictures, right? You know, it's like fat babies strumming harps in the clouds. No, thanks. It seems more like hell to me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about that. So, so what happens, and come on, how many of us do this? We think, you know, I don't really know about heaven, not really sure what to think. It's kind of hard to wrap my mind around a place I've never been to. That's really hard. So I'll just cross that bridge when I get there. Meanwhile, there's this ache in you, in your soul for home, and you're misdiagnosing that thirst. We're not thinking about the reward. We don't consider our home, and our life here on earth suffers for it. We're scattered, and we feel it. But the people who think about the most, the people who think the most about the next life do better in this life because the prize is before them. They run harder. They run faster. They know what to do with that ache inside of them. Now, we should know our home before we get there. That's on us. So let's talk a little bit about heaven. I'm not going to exhaust the topic. I, you know, I'm just, I, my goal here is just I just want to whet your appetite so that you go home and you do your own research and you do your own meditation on heaven. But we'll start with this. Uh, where is heaven? Where is heaven? Well, we know it's up, right? <laughs> Jesus ascended into heaven. He ascended. He went up uh, physically with his resurrected body. Scripture, um, scripture often refers to heaven as the third heaven. So uh, I've had people ask me, is there like three different heavens? No, well, sort of. The first heaven is the sky, you know, like what we see, the clouds. And then the second heaven is space, like stars, galaxies. And then the third heaven, according to scripture, is where God resides. And this is where believers are right now until they receive their resurrected bodies and repopulate the new earth. Heaven right now is not a permanent spot. The current heaven awaits when God will recreate everything, and then it's permanent. Uh, what is heaven like? Well, heaven is physical. It's not a place where you're like translucent, you know, sitting on clouds. It's a physical place uh, with a lot to do and a lot to see. There's a lot to experience. Jesus called heaven a paradise. In fact, Paul repeats that. He, Paul also calls heaven a paradise. And, and the wording for paradise that is used 
uh, could also translate as a royal garden, a luscious, beautiful, organized, uh, natural garden, organic for those of you who care about that stuff. It's, it's the Garden of Eden. It's the Garden of Eden that we've been groaning for ever since we were kicked out of it. In fact, and this is cool, um, Revelation, when Revelation talks about the end times in heaven, it speaks of the tree of life. Uh, the tree of life is in the garden, and Adam and Eve would eat from the tree of life, and it would give them life. And Revelation speaks of that tree, which is now in heaven, will, will come down and once again rest on the new earth for all of us to eat from. And so heaven is a garden. But it's not just a garden. Scripture also calls heaven a city. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says that we all await a city that is to come. We, we long for this perfect city. Scripture calls this city New Jerusalem. Not because heaven is laid out like the current Jerusalem, although maybe it is. Pardon me, I hope it's not, because Jerusalem is confusing. If you've ever been there, I, I, I've gotten lost there plenty of times in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep. Very confusing. It's not, it's, called, it's not called New Jerusalem because of how it's organized or how it's laid out. It's called New Jerusalem because Jerusalem was where God's presence dwelt. And heaven is where God dwells. It's the new, better, hopefully less confusing Jerusalem. It's a garden city, a clean and vibrant, beautiful city that is begging to be explored. There's places to eat. Scripture says that we will eat in heaven. There's parties. Scripture says that God throws some pretty epic parties. Uh, every time somebody submits to, the, to Jesus Christ, the angels throw a party. So there's just these constant parties going on. There's reunions as families regather generations regather, friends reconnect, there's making new friends. I mean, come on, who can't wait to go here? It's awesome. There's this longing in you for this place, which is why Psalm 116, 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious. God sees your, the believer's death is precious because they're finally home. The ache is satisfied, and they're in a far better city exploring the garden that we all groan for. And if you are in Jesus as time marches on, the more you mature, the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of where you're going. That ache gets stronger the more you mature in Christ. It's home. Set your mind on home. This isn't it. For now we see through a mirror dimly, but we shall be face to face. Heaven is home, and your mind and your heart should be set on home. I think one of the, uh, one of the requirements for being a pastor is you have to have the book, um, Last Words of Sinners and Saints. It's, it's an old book. I got it sitting on a, a bookshelf above my desk. It's a, it's, a collection. it's a collection of last words that were spoken on deathbeds, which is kind of creepy. But... Um, but it's a collection from sinners and saints and their last words they spoke on the deathbed. Check, check some of these out. Uh, Sir, Thomas, Sir Thomas Scott, uh, he was chancellor of England and prominent atheist who spent his life attacking Christianity. On his bed, in his last moments, he got this out. He said, until this moment, I thought there was neither a God nor a hell. Now I know and feel that there are both. And I am doomed to hell by the just judgment of the Almighty. And that was it. Or you might recognize the, the name Thomas Paine. Uh, he's a, uh, he's a lead, leading writer in the colonies, devoted a portion of his career, not all of it, but a portion of his career to dissolve people's faith in God. He said this as he was dying. He said, stay with me for God's sake. I cannot bear to be alone. I'm suffering. What will become of me hereafter? Contrast that 
with uh, Pastor William Stevenson. He lived in the 19th century. He said this as he was drawing his last breath. He said, is this dying? Is this dying? No, it is sweet, sweet living. Or then there's, uh, there's D.L. Moody. He was a shoe salesman who found Jesus, and he started teaching at a Sunday school in, in Chicago, and then he opened up a Bible school. It's where I, I went to college. His dying words were this. He said, I see heaven and earth receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling me. At this point, his son said, Father, Father, you're just dreaming. You're hallucinating. And he said, I am not dreaming. I have been within the gates, and it is glorious. It said that Moody then started to say the names of his grandchildren who had passed away before him. And he was crying as if he was seeing them again. And then he died. Or one of my favorite authors is a guy named F.B. Meyer. He wrote 75 books in his lifetime. But his last penned words were to his friend. And they said this. This is so good. I love this. He says, I have just heard to my great surprise that I have a few days to live. It may be that before this letter reaches you, I shall have entered the palace. Don't trouble to write. We'll meet in the morning. Oh, well, don't trouble to write. I'll see you in the morning. Heaven is home. It is not just a destination. It is our motivation. It is our ache. It is where we will meet precious in the sight of the Lord is a believer returning to the garden city. Jesus' best friend, John, as an old man, he's not far from death. He wrote what happens after that fork in the road at eternity's edge. So it's like where Daniel left off, John picks up in Revelation. And I want to read this to you. I want you to imagine this. If you are in Christ, you will see this one day. This is what your soul aches for. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man now. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Our groan will fully and finally be satisfied and believers will be home. We will know shalom and we won't be able to help but praise the name of God. So I can't, I, listen, I can't think of a better so what than to practicing for that day. So let's just stand up, let's do this. As a community with our hearts in heaven, we join those who are already there, turning our ache toward home. Let's sing this out. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.